this is According to Callus. This is episode 237, and I honestly don't have a good title for this. Let's just call it Nationalism. Now, everybody bannies about that word right now. You know, it's like an evil thing. It's a terrible thing. How dare you be a nationalist? Well, let's explore what exactly is a nationalist. Somebody that puts their nation first or above other things. As opposed to an internationalist that sells out his own country in the benefit of what? Some other organization or international things. Now, I know, I know there are some segments of our society that say when you use the terms international bankers or new world order, you are actually anti-Semitic. Well, let me ask you, if I'm, I, if I'm anti-Semitic, does that mean I hate Jews or I hate Arabs or maybe both? Come on, that's not even real. That's a fake claim. The international bankers is a canard in some regards and in some situations it's real yeah there's a lot of these high dollar quasi governmental investment slash banking firms and they just happen to be led by guys that you know at least on paper look to be from jewish origin i mean you could say it's coincidence you could not who cares i don't I don't know that J.P. Morgan was Jewish or not. Quite frankly, I don't care. I don't know if Solomon Chase was or not. Quite frankly, I don't care. What I do care about is when bankers work to the benefit of the countries that they live in or the communities that they live in, they're a great thing. But when they work against them, when they sell them out, when they're seeking to subjugate all of them to debt, I'm sorry, that's not a good thing. The usury never works out in the borrower's benefit. You know, you can throw out a bunch of quotes by these guys and you you can refute a lot of these claims, but none of that matters. When you're dealing with a nationalist, you're dealing with somebody that wants to put their state or their country first. When they're making considerations and decisions at a global level. So quite frankly, I want my president to be a nationalist. Now, whether he's a nationalist like Viktor Orban or Benjamin Netanyahu or Putin. Okay, well, maybe that's not the most ideal situation in some regards. But when they're not even considering their own country in the matter of selling out, well, you know, We're going to shut off all of our oil. Uh, You know, we don't need to worry about making any more refineries. Oh, yeah, coal is evil. We don't need to do anything with that. Oh, natural gas. We can shut that off and let the other countries. I'm sorry. That's not a good thing. That's hurtful. Now, whether the motivation behind it is internationalist or socialist or just plain stupidity, I don't know and I don't care. But I would like to believe that every leader in every country is a little bit of a nationalist. I would like to think Justin Trudeau is a nationalist. He might be the illegitimate child of Castro, but he's still a Canadian. He might have a dual citizenship or he might have a conflicted view of the world, 
but he's still a Canadian. You would think he would care about Canada. You would think he would care about his fellow Canadians. I'm not convinced that he does. I'm not convinced that he gives one rip about any of the people in Canada, yet they continue to tolerate him. Now, Viktor Orban, you can hate him or not hate him, but he actually cares about Hungary. He said, no, we don't want a bunch of Islamic migrants to move here and destroy our country. Whether they're legitimate refugees or made up, don't know, don't care. We don't want them here. They can stay in Turkey. Viktor Orban, for better or for worse, claims to support Christian things, claims to support building up the family, claims to want to protect his country. Those are all good things. We should appreciate that. Benjamin Netanyahu, for better or for worse, loves Israel, puts Israel first. Now, did he maybe cut some deals that he thought would buy Israel time? Sure, I'm sure he did. But... I think nobody would doubt that he cares about Israel. And where it comes down to Vladimir Putin, you know, I don't know. Maybe the guy's a criminal, maybe he's not. But there's not a doubt in my mind that he loves Russia. There's not a doubt in my mind that all things Russia are far more important than him than anything else. Now, maybe that's why he's putting the smackdown on Ukraine. Who knows? Not my business. It shouldn't be my business. I wouldn't even go so far as to say I don't think a single American should be over there shedding blood for what essentially is a bunch of cousins fighting each other. But what I believe and what I think is largely irrelevant. Why? Because they can dismiss all of us by claiming you're just a nationalist. Now, don't even get me started on the whole concept of a Christian nationalist. See, my confusion comes here is that when you drive around town, you're going to inevitably find a place that still is the remnants of Little Italy. You're going to find your little Irish part of town, depending on what part of the country you're in. You're going to go to certain parts of town where it's clearly black or whatever the appropriate term is now for African-Americans or what just that's going to be their part of town. And it's going to be clear. You'll know by the advertising, the type of business, and quite frankly, the people that are milling around outside. Likewise, when you go to a Latin part of town, you're going to find all the advertising in Spanish. It doesn't offend me. You go to a part of town that is predominantly Chinese or predominantly Indian, or let's do it this way, East Asian or South Asian, you're going to find different temples, different advertisements, different churches. All that's just fine. I have no issue with this. Those people, by and large, are not offended that a bunch of white people get together and go to church or a bunch of Americans go to the American football game. So why should I be made to feel guilty? And then when we throw the little Christian adjective on that nationalism. So what you're telling me is in a nation that was ostensibly founded on Christian values. Since we've already fought this battle and quite frankly, we got to parse whether they're a deist or, or they're a, a, a devout Christian or they're reform or whatever. And we're going to worry about whether or not they're this or that when it comes to denomination or whether they're Catholic. Oh, you know, I don't care. 
they all agreed on a common morality, a common right and wrong that was taught biblically. Their individual unique interpretations of it allowed them to understand that, you know, we're going to have to get along with our brothers. We saw what happened in Europe, that Catholics fought the English uh, Protestants and the Protestants in England fought the uh, Scottish Protestants. And then, of course, everybody hated the Irish. And, you know, and then, of course, those Germans, they fought between themselves, whether they were Lutheran or Catholic. And don't even get me started on the various Calvinistic sects or the Hussites. Hmm? They finally learned that you have to accept some different interpretations. And they came to this country and after some time, they worked that out. Now, you can say Pennsylvania led the way. You could say that Rhode Island did the lion's share of the hard lifting there. You could say Connecticut was founded in order. I mean, there are so many different arguments. But there was an underlying Christian faith, a worship of Yahweh God, right? the values that were imputed were of a Christian nature. But now if you want to say that we respect Christianity and we want Christianity to be recognized as a proper way to do things, well, you're a Christian nationalist. Okay. Well, first of all, I reject that. And second of all, the only toleration that has been known in the Western world was because of Christianity. Now you can make some arguments in the Eastern world that there's some different sects of Buddhism and Taoism and all that stuff that allows for a difference of opinion. Okay. I'll give you that. Uh, you don't find that apart from Christianity in the Western world. And you certainly don't get it out of Islam. I mean, the old adage of me versus my brother, my brother and I versus my cousins, my brother and my cousins and I versus my tribe and so on and so forth. That's a real thing. You see it played out every day and you can ignore it and color it and call me names, but that's still the reality of the situation. Whether it's tribal warfare or not, it exists all over three continents. Now, in Europe, you know, because they know better than us, they've rejected their moorings, they've rejected their Christianity, and they're slowly withering away. They're not lost yet, but they're in trouble. And you go drift over to their um, offspring country, the United States, filled with a bunch of English, German, Scottish, Irish, and Italians, and every other mishmash there is, as well as a good number of East Asians, South Asians, uh, South Americans, Latin Americans, Spanish, Portuguese, and not to mention the Native American uh, slash Indians and the Native American slash Inuit slash Eskimo peoples, and of course a smattering of Russians. You get this whole in here, this conglomeration. They generally agree on the idea or the Western ethos of live and let live. We believe this, but we're not going to tell you how to live your life. We're not going to run your life with or for you. But we all agree these things are right and wrong. And it was only when we decided to uh, reject an objective reality, when we decided to start being complacent in our education, that we came up with trying to accept people's deviancies or mental illness and put it forth as a lifestyle choice. And you must accept this. And if you don't, you're hateful. 
I'm sorry. Christian nationalism, the way I understand it, is a rather benign thing is that we believe that Christ is king. We believe that ultimately we're all going to have to answer to him. And there are certain things that are ordained by him that are governmental in nature that we are supposed to submit ourselves to. And they're also supposed to submit themselves to the king. And we're supposed to work in concert together to be mutually beneficial. But when you reject that, indeed, when you invert it and you subvert it and you do different things and you have people that claim to be Christians that reject you because you actually want people to behave as Christians when they claim to be Christians. Indeed, that's the whole problem with the progressive Christian movement. They reject their Christianity for feel-good nonsense, for double-minded virtue signaling. There's no time for Christ. There's no time for his commandments because we have to show everyone that we love one another. Do you love somebody when you condemn them to hell? Do you love somebody when you allow them to kill somebody? Do you love somebody when you don't respect their value as a person, as an individual, and their life? Now, of course, Lindsey Gramnesty is under fire for wanting the states to determine whether or not there should be gay marriage. I'm sorry, but Lindsey Graham is not my lodestone, not my guidestone, and certainly not my cornerstone to anything having to do with biblical marriage. Indeed, the Republican Senate has been a joke for so long, I can't even take the time to investigate how long it's been. They stand for nothing. We hope that the states would stand for something, that they would do the right thing, that they would actually respect our Christian beliefs, and they don't. Why? I don't know. Because they're cowards, probably. The conflict causes them to wilt. Their unwillingness to face down giants has withered away. There can be no Daniel versus the lion's den anymore. There can be David versus Goliath because we're led by cowards. Now, whether they're just cowards because they've obtained a certain level of leadership or success and they're afraid of losing it or whether they never really had any faith before. I don't know. But when you cannibalize that which made your country great, which I don't know would be the Christian work ethic, the Christian value system, and the Christian belief system, what are you left with? You shouldn't be afraid to advocate for, I don't know, people recognizing Christianity and the importance and the values that it brings to the system. But I, in no way, shape, or form, am advocating that we mandate people must agree to it or that we force them to observe communion, for lack of a better way to look at it. I don't want any of that either. But we all benefit from that Christian belief. And when you have people that run around because, well, somebody got hurt in the church. I'm sorry. That's because we're all fallible human beings and people do bad things. Even people that claim to be Christians. So you don't judge Christianity and the bad apples. I mean, we hear the same argument for every group there is. Well, you can't judge this segment of society because of these few people. 
and I'm not going to give examples because that won't go well. But we all know the stories. We all know the examples. I'm just saying this should be an even ground. I'm just saying that there is a literal basis of which you can determine what what is right and what is wrong. And when you reject that and then replace it with something else, you get the French Revolution. Then you get the Soviet Revolution. The October Revolution, if you prefer. Or I guess more accurately, the February Revolution, if I remember correctly, the months. I'm not interested in rejecting Christianity and all that it brought to the table. I'm not interested in throwing away all that is right and good on the guise of some form of equality or some form of outcome that's going to give everybody equity. They tried that in Cambodia. They tried that in China. It didn't work out very well. And the people that are advocating that now, but also claim to be Christian, I have to ask myself, really? What are you thinking? Yes, we know the United States made some mistakes. The United States is not perfect. Every country, every person that is a human has fallen short. But you can't honestly believe you're going to fix it by robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Indeed, I listened to a a podcast that uh, Tom Woods had a Ghanaian guy on there. I honestly, for the life of me, don't remember his name right now. But he's on his 26th book. And he's younger than me by like at least 15 years. And his next book is going to deal with a lot of issues that should be very, very interesting. But one of the things he did is he did a study on why the land reforms didn't fix the problem. And basically what he said is when you give somebody something and they haven't learned how to take care of it and they haven't learned the value of it, it gets destroyed. So I'm wondering if that isn't what's gone on here. We had this liberty. We had this great freedom that was built into our country. And we've had a couple of generations that have never known the cost, have never understood the value of what it brought. And they think that they can do better. They think that they know better. Well, you know, there's something to be said about the value of your elders, the value of society and civilization. And just because a couple of learned people think that they know better, you know, some 3,000 years in the future doesn't mean you toss away everything from the past because, well, you know, they know better. I heard the example that You know, the boomer generation is the first generation that thought that the young people ought to be listened to over the old people. They were the ones that foisted that upon our society. And honestly, I'm not real impressed with the outcome. I'm not real hopeful that the millennials are going to do a better job than Gen X. And I'm honestly, the Gen X is kind of screwed up because of the boomers and the boomers clearly were detached from reality in many, many ways. They say that, you know, We might be saved by Gen Y or the Zoomers. I won't be holding our breath. But here's another thing to consider. Every society has gone through this before. Every civilization has gone to a point where it fails. And another group springs up to replace it. The Greeks were replaced by the Romans. The Romans were replaced by barbarians 
and in some respects the Islamic culture as well as the follow-on Holy Roman Empire, which one of my professors once says was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. So make of it what you want. More appropriately, it would be a Frankish kingdom, right? Which then became uh, France and Germany, respectively. The idea being is that civilization continues, culture continues, the world moves on, and there is never, ever a completion. There is never, ever an end until the Lord comes back. And the expectation that we somehow are going to magically do better because, well, some technology or some idea, I fail to see it. I'll reserve judgment. I mean, there could be something that I missed that is the secret panacea repair or problem-solving issue out there. But I'm not buying it. The jury is out, if you will. I'm sorry, I just had to pause there for a moment. So nationalism, when it is directed in a positive way, is an ideal situation. We're all aware of the terrible outcome of bad nationalism. And I don't think anybody champions that. We're all aware of what happens when two nationalistic forces come up against each other. Some would say that's what's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now. Some would say that's what's going on with the Palestinians and the Israelis. Some would say that's what's going on all over Africa. More of a tribal than national way of looking at it, but eh, fair enough. Some would say that to some extent that's going on in Asia. The Japanese are not enthusiastic about the Chinese and the Chinese are not enthusiastic about the Koreans or the Taiwanese, which they say are actually Chinese. And well, you know, the Vietnamese just don't like any of them. Don't get me started on the Laotian, the Siamese and whatever that other uh, country is that was taken over by a military dictator and had their name changed. (sighs) Used to be known as Burma. All of this has a both good and bad side to the scenario. You should not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say. But you have to consider what we're working with. All nationalism is not bad. It should not be seen as a pejorative, and it should not be used as an anvil to beat upon people's head. Unfortunately, that's just what we're going to be stuck with for the foreseeable future. But Christians, we know better. We behave better. We're supposed to be more involved. We're supposed to, I don't know, love one another and look out for each other. But we have to get off our butts. We have to get on our game. We have to make a difference. And if we just continue to tolerate the destructive behavior that goes on around us, if we just continue to abdicate our responsibilities, if we hide behind pietism, we solve nothing. And while I'm at it, I'm just going to let you know that I have now had to change the number on this episode. This is actually going to be episode 238. 
I mistakenly labeled it 237, but 237 is actually going to be a text of Tuesday because this episode is going to, in fact, come out on Wednesday. And I think I've come up with the title. We're going to call it Nationalism in the Church. Something to consider, something to think on. I don't see a problem with you having a national church. I mean, just look across the Metroplex. There are so many churches that are labeled the Indian church, the South Indian church, the Chinese church, the Korean church. I don't know. There might even be a Mexican church or a uh, Guatemalan church. None of this offends me, nor should it offend you. Realistically, it's just a different version of a cowboy church. Birds of a feather flock together. They work together. And if they're working towards the Christian goals, it only benefits all of us. You shouldn't be letting other people manipulate things to force you to make a decision that's not congruent to what you believe. Now, those of you that are out there that are not Christians, you're probably tired of me talking about this. But it's directly related to the future. It's directly related to what's going on in the world around us. And if you're not willing to at least acknowledge there was a benefit to this country by the Christians that were here and the nationalistic impulses that they had, I can't help you. With that, this is According to Callus, or shall I say was According to Callus. This was episode 238, and we're going to call it Nationalism in the Church. And you should have a nice day, and I will see you on the other side.